0: Look at, or imagine, a river flowing constantly. Then visualize your thoughts flowing similarly, not rippling restlessly, not drifting sluggishly, not frozen in fixed opinions like an ice sheet in wintertime. Adapt yourself to circumstances. The more centered you are in yourself, the easier you will find it to change as the needs arise. Affirm silently, I adapt like flowing water to new situations and ideas. Sometimes when I'm talking about um, the chakras, which among many different ways you can talk about them, you can talk about from the base chakra, earth, water, fire, air, ether, and then what Master called super ether. And ether is not the, the chemical that puts you to sleep, but ether is a is considered to be a, an elemental substance in the universe that is more subtle than air. It's it's it comes not from chemistry. It comes from a different, a way of looking at the world. Um, so that when you're when you're in the ether element, it's you're still in the material universe. You're still in the world of form. But specifically talking about the first and second chakra. I would, I would talk about water. I happen to have a cup of water down here and how in the material universe everything is fixed, like the cup is fixed here and it just it just is the cup. You can't really, in this world, you can't stop it from being the cup. But the water inside of it, which I can see and you can't, it looks like the cup. I look through it and I see the cup. The shape of the water is the cup. Now, I'm not going to do it here, but if I poured it out on the rug, all of a sudden the water would look like rug. And if I poured it on over my head, all of a sudden the water would look like me. Because the water is not fixed like the earth element is. It just can adapt to whatever um whatever is going on around it. So when we talk about the second chakra, we talk about creativity, we talk about intuition, we talk about just being able to move in in, in talking about intuition in that sense, you move into a circumstance. And and you can become that circumstance sufficiently that you can understand it without knowing anything about it until you're there. Um, the problem, of course, with the water element, unless it's grounded in the earth element, and this is how the chakras work, and this is the phrase that you become wishy-washy. <laughs> and, and you have to have the earth element also so that your adaptability emanates from some fixed point of reference. In this case, what Swami is, is suggesting is that we become fixed in the self rather than fixed in anything in the external world. And so he's talking about our thought processes. And, and so much of the time in life, we just sort of figure out what we think and we just stay there. Now, that's not... Um, uh, let, me, let me think. It, it, it's right to have principles but what we have to understand is the principles we want to adhere to are the principles of truth not of form. In in my own life experience I've been part I met Swami Kriyananda in 1969. So now we're over 50 years of this. And Swami's teachings his his vibratory example has just been the the defining reality pole star is the best word I have. One can say guru, one can say teacher, one can say all sorts of things. But Polestar, to me, actually articulates it in a way that is, is the clearest, because that's the fixed point of reference around which everything else in my life has moved. So um, when, when someone asked me one time, she was attracted to our teachings, but also frightened of our teachings simultaneously. And so she was trying to sort of talk herself in or out of getting involved with Ananda And so she asked me if, and at that point I'd been with Ananda, 20 years, 25 maybe, she asked me if I was happy, if I was happy with the choices I had made. And I told her, you know, I could say yes easily, but many people will say yes to you because, first of all, because people sometimes just want to affirm they're happy because they don't really want to think about whether or not they're, whether they're happy or not. Because often. There's nothing they could do or nothing they can see that they can do if they admit that they're unhappy. So you just say it's fine. but oftentimes what they mean by that, what they're implying without saying it is they've lowered their expectations as they went along. You know you one thinks that you know this relationship will turn out like this, or one thinks that uh, you know, having children, will be this kind of experience, whatever it might be. And then it it turns out not to be like that. I remember sitting in a restaurant with my nephew. I've never raised children of my own, but my nephew, who who grew up to be a big man from being a small child, he grew up to be a big man. And uh, I saw all these other families there with these tiny little children. And, you know, just children are so cute, (laughs) just because they're small and they're Just like us, but they're in miniature and they just have so many adorable qualities. And just jokingly, I sort of wanted to go over and I wanted to drag my nephew over and say, This is what's going to happen, you know, (laughs) don't get too involved in that because this is what's going to happen. I mean, I was joking with him about it because he was a fine person and this is what, this is a very good result. But all of those forms, they don't stay the same. I remember my own mother once, I asked her, just sort of what was the happiest part of your life, or something like that. She said to me, when you three children were small and you belonged to me. And it was both both very sweet and also very poignant, because she loved being a mother of small children, but then we sort of grew up and moved away from her. Um, she, she remained close, especially with my sister, so it wasn't like it was tragic. But there was something that had existed So many times when you ask people if they're happy, they'll they'll have accepted whatever is as what is as happy as you can get. And that's a long story to say that. So when this woman asked me, I said, happy is not really the right word. The word I gave her was, ask me if I've ever had to compromise my idealism. And I said, no, I never had. And it was actually, never have, And also, it was sort of an answer to the happiness question too. Because for a truth seeker, which is what I call myself, for a truth seeker, our our ideals of truth are our happiness. The things that we have, the things that we do, that's quite secondary to the understandings we gain, the wisdom we acquire, the feeling of being in right relationship to higher values. So I started in 1969 with certain ideas in my mind of what my ideals were, of what truth was. And many times over the years, I have learned that what the form in which I encased my ideals was insufficient for the magnitude of the ideal. And I would learn as I went through it that that had to be taken down and, and a new form substituted but it was always because the ideal itself elevated and elevated in my mind until, um, until the present moment. But I, I've never felt that I had to lower my expectation. <coughs> oh, that must have been awful for you. Sorry. <laughs> um, I've ever had to lower my expectation or settle for less. Now, this is what Swamiji is talking about for us is that if we remain fluid and if we remain, if we keep our thoughts more like the water inside the cup instead of like the cup, then when circumstances begin to shift from a point of defined identity, see the water is always water, it's even discernible, you can see it as water or you can feel it as water or you can taste it as water, it's always there from a point of defined identity which is my inner self, my higher self, that which I aspire to, the truth which I seek to live by. And one of the truths we seek to live by is true happiness. So it all merges into one thing. But from a defined point of reference, as circumstances shift, however they may shift, I can expand my thinking to meet them, not just shrink it to get by. See, this is the great, great temptation of life, is that that at a certain point, instead of maintaining the flexibility, to reinvent ourselves and find a new reality, we just hunker down and try to get by. I was very touched by both the honesty and the poignancy of what an older relative of me said said to me once. I was urging upon him some expansive new direction, and uh, and he wasn't cooperating with me. And I said what was really an extremely narrow-minded, insensitive, you know, unconscious misperception. But I said to him, well, don't you want to keep growing? And he just looked at me and said, no, just like that. And it was like, no. It, then he just said, I, I've had enough. And he'd had some hard times in his life. I've had enough suffering in my life I don't know if he used these words, but essentially it was, he just wanted to outlast the rest of his life without having any more happen. And it was interesting, shortly after that, his mental process, he'd been a very intelligent man, his mental process suddenly became impaired. And he just lost the ability to intellectualize. Much of his ability to perceive with his intellect was taken away from him. And as a consequence, he didn't have to think about growing anymore. He didn't have to weigh one thought against the other. He actually became very sweet because he had a very sweet heart and he forgot what he was worried about. But you see, we don't want to have to do that. We don't want to have to shut down our minds because our minds have become so rigid that the actual circumstances of our lives are unbearable. I, 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 I don't presume to say why mental impairment sets in to people in their old age or in their young age, mental impairment can be chosen by a person, not necessarily consciously. Mental impairment, by that I mean, I'm only going to see much of reality, just what Swami said. I'm just going to freeze my mind at this point. But then we just waste the rest of an incarnation, really, when the divine is giving us the opportunity to face and overcome more karma. And we don't get out of anything, you see. You don't actually, you don't actually ever avoid anything. You just postpone it into what we imagine to be the future, but you'll have noticed that wherever you're standing is not the future. It's You think that there's this future where it really doesn't make any difference, but when you get there, it's now. And so once we get this idea deeply in ourselves, that I will face it now or I will face it now later, then it it's inspires us. And this is one that inspires us to persevere. And so Swamiji is giving us an extremely practical idea about how best to persevere, stay mentally flexible, like a flowing river that just freely keeps moving. It's never the same Not restlessly like ripples in a lake. You throw a a stone into the pond and it just keeps agitating until it hits the bank and then it comes back like this. Or frozen like ice. But the way a river just flows so freely. And it's on its way to the sea. It has a clear, magnificent destiny. And it's always fresh because it's always just turning over and going where it's going. Beautiful. Lifelong advice for all of us. Look at or imagine a river flowing constantly. Then visualize your thoughts flowing similarly, not rippling restlessly, not drifting sluggishly, not frozen in fixed opinions like an ice sheet in wintertime. Adapt yourself to circumstances. The more centered you are in yourself, the easier you will find it to change as the needs arise. Affirm silently, I adapt like flowing water to new situations and ideas. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.